Well, it's uh, about time to get going. Does anybody have uh, any interesting stories from your week? Any interesting stories from your week? No? Uh, we had a good time here Friday night uh, assembling uh, John and Romans in Spanish for Nicaragua. Had, uh, I don't know how many people here, as best as I could tell, uh, between 110 and 120 people. Uh, over 12, and then a lot of little kids, and I mean little kids, even four, five, six-year-old kids were running stuff around between tables, and just was a great productive night, and uh, if I'd have had any idea we'd have that many uh, workers, uh, we would have had more staplers here, and we'd had two trimmers, uh, but uh, live and learn. Uh, it was just a great night, though. Had a lot of fun. And uh, got oh no, they were done. Uh, I left at nine, and there was it was they were they probably had twenty more minutes worth of work to do. Yeah, and probably a little cleanup after that. I would think they were out of here at nine thirty or thirty-five. Um, but if Lord Terry's were we're talking about. Um, just scheduling another one, and we'll just schedule it on a Friday night and get more staplers and, um, you know, more cutters. It's almost like a social event. You know, it was just good. Have pizza together, sit across the table or next to somebody and, you know, chat and, and work and serve. It was good. It's a great night. Uh, does anybody have any special uh, prayer requests this morning? Yeah, Caitlin. Okay. Just remember the bus ministry. Yes, yeah, Sarah. Okay. All right. Just remember that. Yeah, bro. Okay. Uh, if you don't know, uh, Brooke was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, thankfully, it's a kind where, um, you know, a very high percentage of people are uh, do well, but it's still difficult. And so pray for her and uh, Shane in uh, that. Anything else? Yeah, Jamie. Okay. Just remember them. Pregnant. They're 13, 14. Anything else? Anything else in your heart or mind? We're praying for our services uh, today and uh, praying for our transition next week. Next week we'll transition back to our normal classes. We'll be done with parenting. If you have an unspoken request, just lift your hand. Uh, Josh Maxwell, this is prayer, brother. Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I always uh, look forward to summers when uh, 
get to teach on marriage and parenting. I uh, just love trying to help people in those basic uh, areas of life. I believe that for decades, you know, biblical churches have uh, done a good job at sharing how to be saved, uh, but not done as good a job teaching people how to have a healthy marriage, uh, how to uh, parent your children, and uh, what the scriptures teach. And so I appreciate you guys being open to that, to showing up. Uh, I know we have a fair number of people that also watch online who can't be here, but I'm really glad you're here. Uh, next week, we'll just go back to our normal uh, Sunday school classes, adult Bible classes. And if you don't have an adult Bible class, I'm, you know, you're welcome uh, in here. As usual, we'll start with uh, a few question questions. Number one, uh, the grandparents will not stop giving our children everything they ask for. What should we do? Uh, first thing I would say, uh, it's good that you've recognized that it's not good for your children to have everything they want. Uh, now, when you're young and starting out, it's kind of nice because it makes it cheaper for you. You know, and part of being a young couple is money's tight. Uh, and so it's good that, you know, you recognize it's just not good for them to have everything. And, and basically what I would suggest, you should talk about this privately as a couple, uh, pray about it, come up with a couple of clear instances where you felt like this was a violation, and then pick a good time, pick a good tone, and the biological child should have a talk with their parents. Uh, now, don't expect most parents to say, oh, wow, thank you for the correction. I, I really appreciate now that you don't, that I, you think I'm buying too much for your kid. I mean, don't expect that. Uh, but expect reasonable grandparents to, when they just pause and think about it, to think, okay, hey, um, you know, I, I need to do something different. Um, I do not personally believe it is the grandparents' role to spoil the grandchildren. Now, a lot of grandparents believe that. I do not. Uh, whether I do a good job at it or not, you would have to ask uh, our daughters-in-law or, or sons. I, I believe that uh, our job as a grandparents is to come alongside parents, you know, to be supportive of what they're looking to have uh, happen. Uh, we had our opportunity to raise kids. Uh, now, I do think if you're granny sitting or whatever, you know, that is an open door to do more things. But uh, no matter what, uh, I, I just think it's my job and it's a grandparent's job to come alongside and support faith and good character and parental uh, authority whenever I can. You, you know, uh, again, whether I do a good job of that or not, you, you know, that's up for grabs. Question number two, how do you handle your child wanting to spend their earned money on dumb things? Um, I mean, this is all, a lot of these questions, the result of last week, we talked about helping teach our children how to manage their money, you know, uh, because it's a very common problem in young adults not being able to. Uh, and, and so what I would suggest is, you know, once they take their tithe out and once you set aside whatever percentage you are having them set aside to save, I would let them spend their money on dumb things. And then as soon as it comes to where they want something bigger, that becomes your opportunity to say, well, how much money do you have? Well, I don't have any. Well, what would you spend your money on? Uh, ices and soda and, 
candy and, and all those things. And just say, hey, well, listen, you spend all your money on that. You're not going to have any money for, other, for bigger things. And, you know, you need to let that happen a few times. Uh, like I said last week, I think it's very healthy for your children, for big-ticket items, to have you pay a portion and them pay uh, a portion. And to me, uh, a kid blowing their money is a part of the learning process. Uh, by the way, you're way better to learn that at 7 than you are at 19. And if you don't learn it at 7 or 12, uh, and you have to learn that lesson at 19 to 21, you, you know, it's just going to hurt you for longer. Question number three, is teaching our children to look for sales and use coupons too much for little kids? Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I think that is. Now, now, if you have an older teenager and there's some big ticket item involved, I think it's valuable to sit down and go through a process with them and let them learn how to look for, you, you know, the best deal, so to speak, on the, on the things that they want. Remember, you're preparing them for life. You, you know, you're not raising them to be a monument to yourself or to be always under your rent. You're preparing them for life. You want them, ideally, to be an independent, functional adult with faith in Christ. I mean, that's what you want, and, and so that's a good part of the process. Um, question number four, do I force my children to do extra activities at church, like the Christmas play, children's choir, uh, teen activities? Um, Sharon and I always felt like uh, part of being a team player was for our children to be in anything and everything the church had for their age. Um, one of the things our society really is missing is this whole idea of being a team. And everyone is just an individual pulling in their own direction. And, and I think individualism is important, but I also think learning to, what, to play well with others, you know, that, that's important too. Uh, now, we never cared if our kids sang solos. We didn't care if they had big parts in um, plays. We didn't care about that stuff. You, you know, it was our feeling like, you know, being an active participant was their part as a part of the body of Christ, but they needed to just on their own, you know, decide whether they wanted to pursue uh, those things uh, or not. Uh, question number five, what do I do if my spouse and me do not have the same views on money? Uh, I have like five questions on this, and it's literally in every area of life we've talked about. What if my spouse and I don't have the same view of character? What if my spouse and I don't have the same view of going to church? What if my spouse and I don't have the same view on discipline? And um, <laughs> that's more of a marriage question than a parenting question, but what I would say is that that's going to be true in every area of your married life. You know, you're not supposed to always be the same. Uh, you're not supposed to think the same in everything. You're supposed to think together. And so, you know, each of you will bring something to the table. So you say, what should I do? Uh, follow the Bible. What aspects of either Bible commandments or Bible principles apply? Uh, if you've done that and you still don't reach agreement, uh, follow God's order in the home. Uh, God designed the husband to, to lead and the wife to follow her husband. Listen, uh, brother, if you don't ever need to say to your wife, Hey, I know we don't agree on this, uh, but I just need you to trust me on this. You, you know, there's something wrong with your leadership. Now, by the way, if you're doing that once or twice a week, that's too much. 
It shouldn't happen very often. But it should happen. Did you ever wonder and think that, you know, a, no wife knows whether she's really following the authority of her husband until they don't agree. As long as a wife agrees on what should be done, you're not following the leadership of your husband. You're doing what you want to do. And whether you're following your husband's leadership or not, you don't even know until you disagree. And so, by the way, God sometimes lets you not think like that so you will know whether you're submitting to your husband's leadership or not. And uh, again, I would say always, if your agreement is too sharp and you can't come to any agreement in yourself, set up an appointment and uh, we'll get together and chat. I do that with people all the time. And you say, what are you going to say? We're going to find Bible principles or commandments that apply. Uh, We're going to talk about them. And in the end, if it's not in the Bible and it's not a Bible principle, I'm going to tell you to follow the leadership of your husband. Uh, By the way, that's what God says. And so if that makes you mad, don't be mad at me. Um, somebody said the quickest way to get your child's attention is to sit down and look comfortable. Uh, a couple thoughts uh, about parenting. Uh, great parenting is more on display with the behavior of the parent than the behavior of their children. Uh, man, kids are going to be kids. Uh, when kids are misbehaving, and, and I watch parents who are trying to fix that behavior. I never worry about it. I feel like any parent who's trying to fix a situation, eventually be okay. What I worry about is when kids are clearly doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and the parents aren't trying to fix it. Um, last thought to ponder of our 14 weeks, there will be ways you feel like you've failed as a parent, but in the eyes of your child, you're still a super mom or super dad. And... Um, let that just sink in uh, a little bit. We're on our last week. Uh, I don't have the answers to everything. I've just seen a lot, been through a lot. I want to help you. And I've said this many times in here, and I'm going to say it again because it's our last week together. You know, it's very easy when we're in here uh, to have very clean answers and everything to be fine. You mean life is messy, and situations are messy. And everybody involved is human, the dad, the mom, the kids. And so everything is messy. But listen, if you're really trying to follow Christ and do what's right as a parent, you're going to be all right. All right? You're going to have bad moments. Uh, I had to apologize to my wife on many occasions. I apologized to children on many occasions. You know what? I mean, God knew that was going to happen. If you just are sincerely trying to follow Christ and do what's right with your kids, you're going to be fine. And so last week we finished five weeks on character. And a part of that I hope you grasped was for you as a parent to continue to work on your own character. Because of all the things that we teach that are caught more than taught, uh, character is certainly uh, one of those. And (laughs) we're saved by grace. Uh, but our lives are blessed and built on the quality of our character. And I, I never wanted for myself or our children, I don't want them to have a saved soul and a messed up life. And I want them to live a blessed life, and I want them to have a saved soul. And so that takes both faith and character. It should be in your Bible, uh, in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3. 
This is our last uh, time together, and I kind of want to do something I did a few weeks ago when we finished discipline, which would be more kind of like just sit across the table from uh, you and, and just uh, give you a couple of, of principles uh, to think about and, and to apply. Now, I'm going to have a Bible verse with them because they're Bible principles, but I, I, I just I, I want to chat with you uh, today. Um, here's the first thing I want to chat out. Number one, paste the privileges you give your children. Paste the privileges you give them. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time, uh, to every purpose and under, uh, every purpose under the sun. Notice everything has a season and everything has a time. Verse 2, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time... Of peace. I mean, if you read that and you just get the idea that, you know what, timing is everything. And that many of the things, those are opposites. And that there's a time for things that are opposite. And if you do the right thing at the wrong time, it's just not going to work well. You say, well, what's the right time? Well, that's the difficulty. Notice in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, in verse 5, it says, Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Notice if you're wise, you will know when to do something and judgment, what to do. Wisdom is knowing what to do and when to do it, time and judgment. Verse 6, because to every purpose there is a time and judgment. So for everything there's a right time and there's a right thing to do. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. Say, why is man's misery great upon him? Uh, verse 7, he knoweth not that which shall be. Who can tell him what, <laughs> when it shall be? Why is man's misery great? You don't know when. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and so figuring out what's the right time for things is difficult. It's going to take wisdom. And sometimes you're going to be miserable trying to, to figure it out. But because timing is so important, you need to pace the privileges you give your children. As they get older, bedtime should get later. Uh, the time with their friends should increase as they get older. Uh, the things they al- you allow them to do when you're not there, they should increase as they get older. Uh, they should get more freedom to make their own decisions as they get older. And now they're going to make some mistakes. Listen, making mistakes is a part of learning to make right decisions. Uh, well, you know, one of the most unsuccessful way to parent your children is to just keep them super protected, have them make almost no decisions for themselves until they're 18 or 19, and then just turn them loose. And I'm going to just tell you, the consequences of learning to make right decisions at 18 and 19 are way bigger than they are at 10 and 12. Let them learn how to make good decisions. You're going to have to take some risks. Uh, Now, I say that and say this, as long as they're under your house, under your roof, you should still be involved in some things. And I'm just saying, the older they get, the shorter that list should uh, become. Uh, Listen, for all kids, 
things like cell phones, when they get them, how much they're allowed on them, what movies they can watch, uh, what time their bedtime is, discussing their discipline, their, their driving privileges, them friends they can have over. Pace those things. Pace those things. Uh, for girls, pace things like when they can wear makeup, when they can pierce their ears, when they can shave their legs, when they can pick their hairstyles. Pace those things. For boys, the time they get on video games, the kind of video games they watch, how they cut their hair, how they can have their facial hair, those should all be paced. Listen, if you let your child do all those things by the time they're 10, what privileges do you have to give them by the time they're 15? Pace them. Um, (laughs) Now, when you let them pace things, what that's going to mean One of the difficulties of this is that good families around you aren't going to pace things the same way you do. That doesn't mean everybody's bad, but understand, these are all teaching moments. When you can sit down with your kids and say, hey, listen, such and so are a really good family, and this is the biblical principle we both are applying, and this is the way we apply this as a family. Now, someday you'll have your own family and you can choose how to apply the biblical principle. You don't get to change the principle, but they become teachable moments. Uh, It's not only hard because other people are going to be different. It's hard because we want to say yes. Uh, Listen, if you're going to be a good parent, you're going to say no a lot. And so there's a part of you that wants to say yes, and you just, you have to be careful and fight some of of that. And you're going to have to fight your child, their natural desire is to be whatever's next. You know, if they're in elementary, they want to be in junior high. If they're in junior high, they want to be with high school. If they're in high school, they want to be out of high school. You know what you need to teach them? Enjoy where you are. Uh, There are good aspects to still being a kid in elementary school. There are good aspects to being some punk 7th and 8th grader who you just want to poke their eyes out. Uh, There are good aspects to being... There are good aspects to being single, not married. There's good aspects to being married with no children. Listen, help your kids live their life in order. You will do them a great service by helping them learn just to enjoy the time and the good aspects of where they are. Uh, Proverbs chapter 24. So my first piece of advice as we sit across the table is pace the privileges you give them. Here's the second item I'd like to chat about. Here's number two. Take a long-term view of the events and difficulties of their life. Uh, To me, it's a very interesting uh, proverb. You may just read over it without thinking about it. Verse 27 of Proverbs 24 says, Prepare thy work without, that means outside, and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house. Notice the principle. uh, Take a long-term view. Fix your fields and live in a tent instead of building your house and leaving the fields be a mess. See, what that is, that's taking a long-term view. One is saying, well, I need the best shelter I can possibly have now. And if I have food later, maybe, eh, I'll worry about that then. Uh, the wise people understand, listen, I'm better to be in a tent and take a long-term view, fix my fields, and then later build my house. Um, 
Don't be overly concerned if they're not the best student in the class. Don't be overly concerned if they're not the best player in the team. Don't be overly concerned if they don't get the biggest parts in the drama. Uh, you know, take a long-term view of these. Listen, kids mature at different rates. And I love sports. Uh, I realize you do not have to play sports to be a healthy human being. I personally love sports. I strongly advise parents to have their kids involved in sports, just not to let it become their god. Uh, one of the things, if you're going to be a parent involved in sports, is you're going to see be on some team and some parent thinks that because their seven-year-old is the best player on the YMCA soccer team that they're headed for the pros. And, you know, I mean, as a parent who'd been around a little bit, I'm just thinking to myself, you people are idiots. You know, you have no clue. You think your seven-year-old is great. Here they are in a rec team. You don't even know that in a city like Cincinnati, I mean, there's uh, 10 select teams of seven-year-olds who are playing 70 games of soccer a year, and it's like that in every big city, and truthfully, your kid is trash. Um, but, but see, again, but, but what, what happens, listen, if you've ever been an athlete, understand, I mean, you can be great on a bad team. And, man, there are so many, many good teams. And, and I'm not recommending you put your kid on some team that plays 100 ball games a year. I'd say don't do that. Um, but but uh, have perspective. Take a long-term view. You know what I watched happen uh, is that those parents who did that with their 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old, that kid got all of his identity in thinking that they were the best. And then when they were 17 or 18, and then all the other kids uh, caught up to them maturity-wise, they weren't that good. I mean, I remember a kid, I think it was on Caleb's wrestling team. I mean, he was in eighth grade, had hair in his chest. And uh, this kid would just go on. He wasn't a good, he wasn't a good wrestler. Was it you or Josh? Yeah, full beer. He's, he's, he's 12. And, and he would just go out. He wasn't a good wrestler, but he was just man, had some man strength. He just take them to the kids You know what handled that? You know what happened to that kid when, when everybody else got some man strength with some skills? They pounded him like sand. And, and, and so you need to take a long-term view of everything that happens. You, you, you know, listen, they're going to be in valleys and issues with church kids, church leaders, youth ministry, lack of sleep, lack of free time, problems with acne, playing time on teams, social difficulties due to size, appearance, or just mean people. They're going to have problems with school kids, school teachers, kids and adults of all sorts, all sizes and ages. They're going to have problems with neighbors, with family, with friends, with boyfriends or girlfriends or lack thereof. You know, take a long-term view of that stuff. And if you panic every time something like this is going on, listen, you're not doing your job as a parent. You're supposed to bring perspective. Listen, if some 13-year-old likes somebody and that and they send them a little note, do you like me, and with a box, yes or no, and they check, uh, make a third box and say, no, you are ugly, no, no, no. You know, listen, your child, I mean, that crushes them. Because their perspective in it is, man, hey, I put myself out there and I just got crushed. Your job is not to, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, man, I'm going to take that kid out. You, you know, uh, I'm going to talk to their parents. 
you know, if your perspective is not any wiser than that, you, you need to, it's your job to understand, hey, this is a huge deal to your kid. But in the scheme of life, it's your job there to help them, to take a long-term view. And if you're really struggling with something, you know, because life is a bumpy road, get some outside counsel. And uh, fight off your natural urge to keep your children as young as possible as long as you can. Did, did you hear me? Fight off your natural urge to keep your children as young as possible as long as you can. Stop that. Make your goal to have your children be their age. Don't baby your five-year-old. Don't make your six-year-old ten. Don't pretend your 13-year-old is nine. And don't pretend your 17-year-old is 15. Listen, whatever age they are, embrace it. Your parenting is not about, oh, they're so cute as kids. I just want to keep them like that. I love them. I want to snuggle them. Oh. No, don't do that. You know, when they're young, do that. But as soon as that time moves on, embrace where they are. Here's number three. Remember, we're just having a chat. By the way, you might not like this stuff I just said, but you will help your kids if you embrace it. Here's number three. Trust them as much as you can, but don't be naive. <laughs> if it ever comes out of your mouth, my kid would never, you fill in the blank. You are already walking down a bad road. Um, no matter how well you raise your children, they have a fallen nature, and uh, they will do things out of virtue of their own fallen heart that they never seen you do. Uh, now, some kids are sneakier than others. And pretty much every kid, uh, if it's something they know you don't like, they are going to be sneaky uh, one uh, way or another. And so what I would say to you is, uh, don't be afraid to look around their room when they're not home. I don't, I, I think your kids should know you're checking up on them. I think also your kids should not know how much you're checking up on them. Uh, listen, we went, especially me, you, you know, I, I mean, I went through our kids' stuff when they were gone. I'm sure there's stuff I didn't find. But it wasn't because they wasn't looking. Now listen, if you tell them, hey, by the way, you, you tell your 12-year-old, hey, by the way, while you were gone today, I went through your stuff, I, I would just say, well, why are you being so dumb? You don't tell them. Put everything back. Be careful. I mean, listen, if you've got a sneaky kid, they're watching uh, how they set stuff to, to see if you're going through it. I mean, trust them, but don't be naive. Listen, if you have a teenager that's struggling, listen, don't be afraid to give them a drug test. You ought to have uh, apps on their phone that keep them from places. You ought to have protection on your television and internet stuff. You ought to have that. Listen, you know, we have a spiritual adversary. He wants to destroy the heart and mind of your child. If you don't get that even an innocent kid can get on the wrong stuff very quickly in the internet, you're so naive. I don't go any of those places. Uh, ESPN and Fox News I mean, especially you get on ESPN and sports news, some of the clickbait around the sides, I mean, it's terrible. 
I love to play words with friends. You know what? There are stalkers on words with friends. I know that if a woman challenges me to a game of uh, words with friends and she's a level one and I look at her record and she's played 15 games and has never finished any of them and lost all of them, that she's a stalker. So how do you know that? Because a couple of games I picked up and you play a few turns, you think, wow, this person is trash. No wonder they're level one. And then they write, write a, then you get some message and say, hey, uh, would you like to open the chat room? No, I would not. Uh, listen, if you don't understand, there are people stalking you and your children. If you don't take electronic action to help them in weak moments, don't be afraid to have a tracker in their phone. Listen, don't be afraid to put a tracker in their car. You're the parent. Now listen, I've gotten in, uh, we were paying the insurance. I got in their cars and listened to see what they had on their radio. By the way, if they didn't like it, I changed some of them. Our, I mean, well, he was probably 20, living at home. He's reading a Stephen King book. I personally believe Stephen King is possessed. See, what'd you do? I grabbed the book. I went outside the front door. I threw it in the yard. I said, you cannot have that in this house. In our house, everybody understood 18 means nothing. The only thing that matters is are you mature and responsible enough to pay your own way? If you're mature and responsible enough, uh, responsible enough to pay your own way, have the Stephen King book. Answer to God for it. But not in my house. Number four, we're just chatting. Uh, do everything you can to find them a healthy niche to fit in. Now, our first choice was always that they could fit in and find a healthy niche in the church. Church ministries, we, we always want our kids to be most comfortable. Uh, but, but if you don't understand, there's a bad crowd everywhere. And by the way, your kid may be part of it. There's a bad crowd everywhere. Every church, every Christian school, uh, every homeschool co-op. Listen, there are bad eggs in the pastor basket. If you don't understand there are bad eggs everywhere, you're not going to help your kids. But we did everything we could to keep our kids around the kids we thought had the most chance to embrace their faith. Um, you may not agree with this now, but it's only because you think you did as a kid what you did because your parents were geeks. What you did as a kid, you did as a kid because it is natural and normal for a kid to begin to want to be independent and break away from their parent. See, now as a parent, you think you did that because your parents were geeks. But in reality, you did that because that's the natural process everybody's supposed to go through. And so you need to just understand that that natural process means that probably, depending on the kid, between 15 and 21 maybe, uh, their friends are going to be more important than you. I actually think I'm pretty cool. But our kids went through a process where they didn't want me around. Shocking to me. Hey, I'm fun. L listen, they, 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 nobody does that. Maybe some parents are geeks. But, but you, know, you, you just do that because that's the process. And when your kids get older, you need to just be prepared to accept 
the fact that you're going to go through a phase of when they're not really going to want to be around you as much and just know that the time will come if you've done your job right, well, they'll come back around. And so I always felt like as a parent what I was doing, what Sharon and I were doing, is we're setting our kids up for that phase. Uh, Keeping them in a niche where we wanted them to be. Uh, Listen, if your kids end up and they're 14 or 15 and they just hate the church kids or whatever, and sometimes that happens, uh, listen, you still need to to get them in as good a niche as you can. Uh, Like not the skateboarder niche. Listen, I'd rather, even though I personally think like the chess team and the bowling team, that that's a little geeky. I'd much rather have my kids on the chess team and bowling team and have a niche than to feel like they don't belong anywhere. Look for a kid, look for a niche for your kids. Listen, some kids, they will do this pretty easily, and other kids, you're going to have to really keep an eye on them. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I, was, I can already see now that I wish I had longer for this chat. 2 Samuel 7. And again, I, I don't, I've never through here claimed to be a perfect parent. I do think I understand it. Here's number, uh, here's number five. Shun and postpone fame and excessive limelight as long as you can. Uh, look at chapter 7 and verse 8. Uh, now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David. So Samuel is not going to say to David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Where did God get the greatest king Israel ever had? Watching sheep. The sheep coat. Do you, you ever think God could have got him from a palace? Could have got him from a place of wealth? Do you ever notice where God placed his only begotten son? In a regular family. Dad was a, stepdad was a carpenter. Mom was a mom. Lived in a small town uh, called Nazareth. Listen, he could have had Jesus come from Jerusalem. He could have put him in a wealthy family. Um... Very few child prodigies do well as adults. Now, you're going to have to watch because as a parent, one of the things you're going to want as a parent, you want your children to do, you want them just to be the most successful at everything that they are. I mean, that's just normal. You're just going to have to fight it. But fame and wealth and popularity are very tough to handle long term. They're much more tough than obscurity and poverty. And so just be very careful thrusting your kids into fame and excessive limelight. Now, uh, I, I, again, I didn't care if our children were the valedictorian. I didn't care if they were the best player in the team. Uh, I, uh, I wanted them to give their best of what they were. And in our case, I mean, God chose for our children to have to grow up in, a, in the limelight. I mean, God placed our children in a fishbowl. And some of you know what that's like. Um, but that's very different from you seeking fame for your child. Um, fame may find them, but let fame find them. Uh, if you think you've got a cute kid, please don't make them a model. Please don't try them out for commercials. Please don't do that. One of the kids I know is a real cute kid. 
His parent had him doing uh, commercials when he was three, four, five years old. You know, he kind of got squirrely as he grew up, and, and now, you know, he's 35, and he's still single, and he works at Bass Pro Shops. There's nothing wrong with working at Bass Pro Shops, but his parents gave him this success that was linked to his image that he couldn't live up to when he kind of went through being gawky. You know what happens when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Please shun uh, and postpone fame and limelight as long as you can. Uh, Here's number six. Uh, I won't spend any time. We've talked about this. Do everything you can to bring right friends in their life. And Proverbs 24, and we'll close with this. I think this is one of the most important aspects of parenting and life, and it is actually one of the things that is missing most in our culture, and it is gravely missing in our churches. Here it is. Build as much toughness in them as you can. Proverbs twenty four sixteen. It says, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. You know, even if you're a just man, how many times and minimally you're going to fall? See, the difference is not whether you fall. The difference is, is do you get back up? See, who gets back up? Tough people. Listen, it will take true mental toughness to face the adversities of life and make the right choices. I'm not talking about mean I'm not talking about uncaring. I I think you ought to get as much meanness and uncaring out of your child as you can. I'm talking about tough. I'm talking about not quitting when it's easy to quit. I'm talking about not using being tired as an excuse to be mean, ignore their alarm, or do the right thing. I'm talking about deciding to do what's right instead of doing what's convenient. That's toughness. I'm talking about, like, for instance, on Wednesday nights, uh, if our kids had homework, we still went to church. What that meant is that they had a lot of homework. They had to do it before we left or do it when they get home. So, oh, my, my baby might get a little less sleep. Yeah, they might, but you know what? If they end up a little tougher, uh, they will be better off. Toughness is not allowing the rain to... Uh, cold to keep you from doing for what, you, you, what you're supposed to do. I, I really believe... Tough, this lack of toughness is tearing our culture apart. Listen, you know, it's actually toughness that says, you know what, I'm going to work my marriage out. It's a lack of toughness that says, well, it, I can't, I, I, if I made a list for you of the reasons that people had quit on their marriage that were not biblical reasons, I can make a list this long. And at the, at the root of all that is no toughness to make this work. Um... I like it when kids play soccer in the rut and mud and rain. I, I like it. I, I like it when uh, they have seasons when their homework really presses them and keeps them up late. I, I like it when the games are not easy. I like it when the opponents are tough. I like it when they're forced to step back and find out what's really in them. To say, I am going to battle this whether I lose or not. I told, Caleb would tell you, when uh, him and I had a lot of conflict when he got to be a teenager. We're great buddies now. But, but I, I told him, I said, listen, uh, the last thing I do if we ever fight, I will bite your ankle before I die. 
Did I not tell you that? Okay. You, you may whoop me, but I, I just uh, listen. The last thing I'll do is bite you with my last breath. Put that in your kids. Not mean. Not nasty. This grit that says, I, by the grace of God, will face whatever it is and do us right. Um, Parenting is messy. But God chose you. And he chose your kids for you. That means you can make it and take it. We're all done. If you have any... Uh, comments about the class or anything like that. You should have a piece of paper. Just fold them and stick them in that jar. I'll get them later. Thank you for being here. And I went two minutes over, but that's all right. I was trying to be tough.